the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. This is the Communication and Media Research Collaboratory, also known as the CMRC. The CMRC explores research and teaching techniques across the field of communication. I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Greenwood, bringing you the results of faculty and students working together to solve complex problems and drive our culture forward. Today we have Dr. Penny, an associate professor in the School of Communication and Media. His research focuses on the uses of participatory and digital media for social and political advocacy, as well as the construction of collective identities. Dr. Penny is the author of the award-winning book titled The Citizen Marketer, Promoting Political Opinion in the Social Age, published in 2017 by Oxford University Press. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Penny. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. So in The Citizen Marketer, you explore how citizens participate in political marketing campaigns in the age of social media. And I mentioned for our listeners that your Carpe Diem interview from a couple of years ago is embedded on the CMRC website. And you discuss a fair amount of, in a fair amount of detail about the ideas in the book. So it's well worth reviewing um, for our listeners. But one salient idea that struck me at this particular political moment uh, is your observation of the informality and frivolity of social media supplanting more serious conversation about issues and policy. And since the 2016 general election, when you wrote the book, and now in the wake of the 2018 midterm elections, can you gauge the extent to which citizen marketers have avoided or succumbed to this pitfall? Well, I think that it, there's some of uh, both going on probably. Um, with any, the point that I was making in the book is that within any kind of news cycle or news story, there are ways of approaching it and the kinds of angles that people latch onto with the articles and the way that they share these things online uh, that are kind of gesturing towards some larger issue that these stories are intended to represent. And then there's also this uh, kind of distraction loop of more kind of almost paparazzi fascination with these characters. Sometimes that comes in the form of actual celebrities when they get involved in politics. I mean, we heard so much about Kanye West recently and about Taylor Swift. And I'm not, I don't actually want to say that those things are insignificant necessarily, but it's sort of how we talk about them online sometimes. And the point that I was really trying to make in the book is that there is a apparatus now. There's an economy of digital news uh, being produced uh, by all kinds of you know companies and that have a vested interest in getting clicks, and they're going to run the kinds of stories that people like to click on no matter what the consequences might be for democracy or anything else. So uh, there's a temptation, you know, to to kind of turn any story into this sort of uh, paparazzi thing. And this is not new to social media even. This has happened in news before. But so much now is driven by the audience interest. We're talking about what gets shared online, what gets uh, the most... Uh, you know, likes and comments. And, and so they, they're they sort of creating these sort of self-fulfilling feedback loops where they find the most sort of uh, what we call clickbait <laughs> versions of a, of a story. And those tend to do well. And you sort of you get more and more and more of them. So uh, there's absolutely a risk of that. But, you know, there's, there's ways, I mean, you, you could talk about what Kanye West represents or Taylor Swift represents in ways that I think do get at larger issues about uh, all, all the matter to do with the things in our politics. So it's not necessarily about the subject. It's more about kind of how we end up talking about them online and, you know, how the ways in which there is this kind of commercial aspect to news online that is really, again, really trying to maximize this stuff, really trying to profit off of the fascination aspect. And it is dangerous. And though, and in your book, though, you arrive at this this idea of 
getting beyond the political clickbait or the celebrity clickbait to talk about those more important social issues, right? And the hope is, is that we do. So not just online, it doesn't end there, but that we do engage somehow at some some deeper level these issues. Um, and I think that's where, where at least from, from what I got from the book, how can our students, though, our students who do research go beyond the meme, so to speak, um, in order to investigate these more serious political conversations? And when they're doing their research on social media or how social media pervades, um, you know, real life, real time, how can we compel them to go beyond the meme? Well, I have, first I have to say that I think memes are a very interesting uh, subject yeah. of study, and I don't want to diminish that. Um, and in fact, memes can have a lot of uh, important uh, messages attached to them. I, I have I did a more recent study where I'm looking more specifically at how um, younger people, actually uh, college students, are using this kind of internet humor as a way to talk about some pretty serious issues. Uh, so, you know, uh, that being said, though, if, if you're talking about studying this stuff, I really think you do have to talk to people. Um, we, you know, there's ways in which obviously there's a lot of digital data we can look at with in terms of social media research, but uh, it's almost kind of an easy way out in a way if you're just satisfied with uh, loading up, you know, what's on the Twitter feed, what what can be sort of immediately accessed with a click of a button, and not doing the harder work that really is social scientific research or ethnography or investigation. So. Um, in terms of going beyond just what gets posted, I base my research on talking to people about what they post. And I think that's a really important step that unfortunately we're not seeing enough of. Um, the researchers have gotten very used to the idea that you sort of look at the tweets, you look at the Facebook posts, and you sort of glean um, uh, you know, insights from that uh, data collection. And uh, there's, there's some gain in that kind of strategy, but sure, it's certainly yeah. not the, the, the entire picture. Yeah, representational meaning, but it can only go so far. Um, I mentioned that the the lineage or the trajectory of your research that was behind Citizen Marketer, I found fascinating. And you provide a methodological appendix at the end of your book that I want my student researchers to read because um, it really outlines the process that you went through methodologically, why it's important to talk to people. Um, for you, what was the most challenging aspect of conducting this naturalistic, qualitative social research study that was about social media, but not just on social media? Mm -hmm. the, uh, the process of actually finding people and selecting you know, who is going to be part of a study is often some of the most difficult work. Uh, you know, we're talking about sampling, which is, uh, you know, always an issue when you're talking about uh, this kind of empirical research or field research. And uh, I, I find that I think that a lot of the reason why people don't do more uh, human subjects research about the Internet is that you kind of look out in this thing. It's like, oh, there's millions of tweets out there. How could we just choose a few people to talk to? How are they going to represent that? And uh, it's always been the case in um, and kind of the anthropological tradition, or we're talking about ethnography, where you're not really going necessarily for the hugest uh, sample or the most even statistically representative, obviously, you can't get there. But you're trying to get some kind of rich insight by uh, finding, you know, not just, you know, a few people to talk to, but really going deep in terms of the investigation, in terms of things like interviewing and focus groups is the kind of work that I do. Uh, but finding, you know, the, the focus of that, who are you going to choose uh, it can be uh, pretty tricky, and uh, it always involves some kind of compromise, and you know you never really get exactly 
uh, everything that you want. Uh, I, I was doing a research study that I mentioned before where I wanted to talk to young people about uh, the context after the election and, and, you know, kind of living a life under the Trump administration. I found a lot of students who were identified as anti-Trump. That wasn't so hard to find. Uh, finding the ones who were pro-Trump, that was a little more difficult. And that might be because there's fewer of them in this geographic location, although they are around in the country. But also has to do with even the... Um, the relationship between the, the political aspects of academia, and this is kind of true if you're studying politics, uh, you know, certain groups are very suspicious of academia and our, our motives and our agendas. Mm -hmm. I try to be as, as really as objective as, as I can as a researcher in terms of the work that I do. Uh, but yeah, I have come up with some resistance. Some conservatives don't want to talk to researchers because they feel that they're not going to get a fair yeah. uh, shake from them or something like this. Um, so that's something I've had to uh, to work on. I did get a few people, though, uh, who were representing that group. And, and in the study, you know, the, the pro-Trump uh, youth. And it was very, um, you know, interesting to, to, to talk to those folks and actually gain a little bit more insight in terms of not just what they're doing on social media, but what they're thinking about. Because that's really what I'm interested in is the thought process and the motivations behind the posts and the memes. Yeah, I loved you. You use the words immer organic. Your research process was very organic. And um, you, the book is really comprised of three different studies, right? Yeah, in a way, I kind of uh, use the book as an opportunity to kind of uh, culminate these different projects into one final kind of version. Uh, so I, even when I started that, I didn't necessarily have the book in mind. So it was really just actually it started with the work that I did as a dissertation uh, in graduate school and then afterwards uh, several other studies. And I kind of, you know, I was working around a specific set of themes. So it kind of came together ultimately. And when thinking about moving towards a longer piece, this book, it was really a... Um, like I said, a culmination of, of a way to tie together some different projects and find the commonalities between them. Was the study of the T-shirt, it was political T-shirts, right? Yes. Was that the first one that you did? Yeah, that's actually how I got interested in the whole subject of um, citizen political expression. Um, I had not, you know, sort of started out necessarily as an Internet researcher, although I don't think you can study any aspect of communication media and exist outside of uh, the digital world, uh, unless perhaps you're doing, you know, purely historical work. Uh, but... Uh, you know, for me, well, I, I found, you know, I started that uh, T-shirt stuff at around the time when they were kind of having a big comeback. This is when Obama was running for president for the first time. And there was a whole kind of fashion craze around uh, his candidacy. And it was kind of a moment. And I was kind of picking up on that. So uh, and uh, obviously, e even when I started that, I noticed the relationship between what people were wearing and what people were posting. Um, the fact that, for instance, that very, very famous image of Obama that was the uh, the Hope portrait by Shepard Ferry was showing up both on people's T-shirts and on people's profile pictures on Facebook and other social media. And so immediately I, I thought I thought that connection was really fascinating. And it made me think more about the, you know, the history of how everyday people express their political beliefs. And yes, we've had ways to do that before the Internet. Uh, the Internet is simply... Um, magnified, if you will, exacerbated certain kinds of cultural expressions and political uh, phenomenon, social phenomenon that have been around for a long time. But, you know, they, and it has, has changed certainly a lot of the, uh, the landscape. But uh, I was very interested in kind of looking at the past and present. I don't like internet research that really tries to look at the internet in a vacuum because, uh, you know, yes, the technology is new and yes, it's changing things, but it's also 
uh, so tied to larger contexts. We're talking about social, political, economic, uh, cultural contexts that uh, really, I think, provide a lot of insight. I mean, in order to understand social media and to understand the internet, you have to go beyond it a little bit. You have to see you know, what kinds of traditions are being wrapped up in these newer technologies. So from going, how did you get from the the, t-shirt, the study of political communication on T-shirts to what was the next step for you? How was it, what emerged, what was the next study that you did after that? Well, through uh, the work I did on T-shirts, I ended up really kind of focusing on this idea that eventually became the title of my book, The Citizen Marketer, and uh, the relationship between political activism, today's kind of political activism, and the uh, participation in marketing campaigns, what's kind of thought of as viral marketing, mm-hmm. which has been, you know, been using T-shirts and this kinds of, uh, uh, you know, everyday people kind of being this... Uh, starting this so-called buzz, you know, spreading, you know, this is actually a revival of what Katz and Lazarus felt called two-step flow yeah. uh, in communication studies, which is uh, worth checking out if you're interested. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for me, it, it really it was um, a pretty natural progression to look at. Um, you know, from there, I w- looked at other ways in which people are promoting their political beliefs. I, at the, the next election had been coming up in 2012, so I was looking at Twitter and how uh, YouTube videos and kind of viral clips were being uh, you know, kind of drawn into this kind of uh, campaigning war that different sides were, were engaging with. And then I also started, uh, I did a project about uh, what you think of as more social activism, actually around LGBT uh, identification and sort of issues of public advocacy with the Red Equal Sign campaign. And that was a big study for me as well. The, was, this was involving uh, changing people's profile, uh, people changing their profile pictures to a Red Equal Sign to show support for marriage equality. And this was a very, very popular campaign, one of the most popular of its kind. And uh, it was a good starting off point to think about how people are using the space of their social media profiles to uh, identify, but also to become kind of an advertisement for their views or for their identities for their, you know, the groups that they're uh, showing solidarity with and they're trying to promote in the public sphere. And ultimately, I think in the book, you arrive at the fact that just changing your profile photo is not, I mean, it's a small and simple act, but it's not lost. I mean, it it can further a political movement. We just shouldn't confuse it with on-the-ground efforts, right? Yeah. uh, Obviously, I think a lot of uh, activists are not picking one or the other, like online or offline activity. Many people who are very interested in politics want to do both. Uh, But it's interesting. You know, the big big argument that I was kind of pushing back on with the book was – this accusation of slacktivism and this sort of thought that social media was insignificant, that it didn't really matter. And uh, that was kind of how I had to uh, frame the book. And this was all, I wrote the book before the 2016 election had actually taken place. Um, Since then, the conversation has swung totally in the other direction, where now we're talking about, well, oh, the Russian trolls are totally, uh, 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 you know, controlling our politics by posting Facebook. And I'm saying, hmm, wait a second. So when people do it, it's, you know, in the United States, it's slacktivism. But if the Russians do it, they're this, you know, all controlling force. And neither one of these uh, scenarios is entirely true. The truth is probably somewhere in between. But I think that we're a little more comfortable now in 2018, after the election and after some of the things that have happened since, with uh, trying to recognize the fact that social media has influence and it has power. And uh, yes, changing your profile picture uh, is part of that. It is, if you're, do, if you're one person doing that in a drop, it's a drop in the ocean. If you're three million people doing that at once and you're also getting a lot of news coverage out of it, uh, it could be huge. Um, and, you know, we live in a very mediated and I would argue postmodern reality in which uh, meaning is produced through symbolic representation images. And when you're engaging in social media, you're participating in that. 
not all participation is equal. It's a point that I try to make in the book. You know, yes, if you're a celebrity, you know, you're an influencer on a level that, you know, an everyday college student, for instance, would not have. But that it doesn't mean that um, these kind of larger viral campaigns that do include a lot of people kind of working together in coordination can also have an impact in the system of, you know, media uh, and, and the, the power it has over our politics and over so much of our world. Well, we are recording this prior to the midterm elections, so I would love to have you back and talk about uh, social media and what happened midterm and beyond, because it seems like there is a lot of data that are yet to be culled and gathered in on this topic. Um, so thank you. Dr. Penny, for joining us. Uh, once again, Dr. Penny is an associate professor in the School of Communication and Media. He specializes in new media, critical cultural studies, and political communication and theory. Uh, his book is The Citizen Marketer, Promoting Political Opinion in the Social Media Age, and it was published in 2017 by Oxford University Press. And it's also worth mentioning that the book received the 2018 Best Book Award in Information Technology and Politics from the American Political Science Association and the 2018 Roderick P. Hart Outstanding Book Award from the Political Communication Division of NCA. Yes, uh, thank you so much for that, and I'd uh, love to be back. Thanks so much for having me. Great. I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Greenwood. You can find out more about the Communication Media Research Collaboratory at cmrcollaboratory.org and on Twitter at cmrcollaborate. You've been listening to the CMRC Podcast here on WMSC. WMSC.